Funding for Egeret Hachuva, the Epistle on Repentance, is provided by Isaac, son of Devorah Mindel. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Page 1013 Rebbe explained that the idea of fasting, people think, people is a popular misconception. That repentance means to fast, torture yourself, you know, roll in mud, roll in, roll, self-affliction, afflicting yourself. To show remorse, you have to suffer. And that has nothing to do with the shubha. Tshuva is not about fasting. Tshuva has nothing to do with fasting. The essence of tshuva is something very simple, stripped down to its naked essence, very simple. Changing. Resolving to change. And that has nothing to do with fasting. As a matter of fact, as we'll we'll discuss later, tshuva should be done joyfully. Not about, it's not about um, beating up on yourself. and Even the regret, which is a part of the shuvah, a detail of the shuvah, not the essence of the shuvah, because the essence of the shuvah is all about going forward, but regret, seeking forgiveness, asking, saying I'm sorry, that's all to mend the past. But even that, it's not about lashing out on yourself and beating up on yourself. You know, as a matter of fact, that's not how you change. You know, harshness, yeah, you'll change, but very superficially. If you want to achieve real change, it's not through harshness. I mean, the truth is, if we listen to ourselves, we treat, we treat ourselves harsher than our own worst enemies. Our own worst enemies wouldn't treat us the way we treat ourselves. With the things we say to ourselves, how we berate ourselves, we knock ourselves, you don't need an enemy. <laughs> we wipe the floor with ourselves. We completely, by the time you're done, you're so demoralized. And you're so, you knock the life out of you. And the energy out of you. That doesn't lead to change. Yes, maybe short term. Like, like, it's like you yell at a child. Yeah, you yell at a child, you're going to get instant results. But you know, it lasts for three and a half seconds. The child resents it, resents you. The moment you turn away, he's out of there. It, it's not real. That's not change. Change doesn't come through fasting, affliction, beating up on yourself. That's, that's the misconception that most people think. Most people think if I'm serious, it means I, gotta beat, I have to beat up on myself. Curse myself. You lousy, good for nothing. You bum, you lazy, good, you loud, good. And it, and it goes on and on. You know, listen to your inner tape. That's a misconception. That's not, that's not where change happens. That's not what produces change. It's not, that's not what it's about. 
even the regret, the regret comes from a genuine place. Because when you can experience, you can feel how deep that connection is. You feel the intensity of the love and how, what, how precious what you have inside is something so precious. And then you realize how foolishly I act. That I acted in a way that violated who, my, who I am, my true essence, in a way that's really uncharacteristic of me, because that's not the real me. Then my heart melts. But that's all done gently and lovingly. It doesn't have, it's not with fasting. This whole misconception that you have to beat yourself into submission. The Musser approach. You, gotta, you know, fire and brimstone. Whip yourself into shape. Torture yourself fast. Deprive yourself. That's not, that's not. Halachically, that's nothing to do with tshuva. As he says, we're going to say now, my manris doesn't even mention it. In all the mitzvahs of tshuva, he doesn't even mention fasting. Fasting is, is, doesn't, is not even a component of truth. Not even a detail of truth. Of repentance. It has nothing to do with truth. And he'll explain what role fasting is. Nothing to do with truth. Although the Talmud says that if a person sins, a severe sin, a capital crime, then only pain and suffering could achieve atonement. So he says, that's the pain and suffering that Hashem brings. When Hashem sees that your heart is sincere, and you resolve to change, and then Yom Kippur came along, which created a deeper level of Teshuvah, and your heart stirred, and you're genuine, and you're for real, then Hashem will cleanse you. Hashem will wipe away, will unclog you. That's Hashem's doing. It's not about torturing yourself and being harsh on yourself and you know, ripping yourself apart and, and depriving yourself and torturing yourself. No. It's not a Jewish concept. It has nothing to do with the truth. When Hashem sees that a person is sincere, then when a person really sinned and a person really created the terrible, brought such a negative energy into this world and created such a scar in this world, then Hashem will do the cleanse, like a loving father who cleanses his child, scrapes off the dust and the mud, cleans his child, personally cleans his child. It's the, it's the most loving act. Because out of his love for him, the father scrapes off the mud. It's painful. But he's scraping off the mud. He's cleaning him. He's healing him. But that's the healing that Hashem does. That's part of Hashem's healing. When Hashem brings pain and suffering in a person, Hashem, it's cleansing. It cleanses the person. It cleanses your soul. It cleanses your... But that's Hashem's doing. That's not our doing. So this is not what truth is. That's why he says it's a mistake, a misconception that, that people have. A popular misconception. There was an um, Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, the Geras after being Rebbe for many years, in his older age, the Hasidim bought him a snuff box. You know, schmeck tabak, you know, he smelled. Alter Rebbe said there's one organ in the body that, that 
that doesn't need indulgence. That's the nose. So you, so you, so you're gonna, you want to cause that even the nose, I should, have, I should be, I should indulge myself, just sit there and yeah. smell the the the, the schmeck tabak. So instead, he used it, and this is how the story. Someone told the story in front of his grandson, the Tzemachedek, the third Rebbe, that the Rebbe broke off the cover of the box, and since it was silver, he used it as a mirror to make sure that his tefillin was straight. The Rebbe, in his ecstasy, would pray, and, he would, and his tefillin would move, and he, he was oblivious. So, so he used it to make sure that his tefillin, because tefillin has to be centered. When the Tzemachedek heard the story, he interjected. He said, it's a mistake. You said that my grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, broke the box. My grandfather couldn't break anything. He, surely he took off or removed the connector. There must have been a connecting a screw or whatever, a pin. He took off the, screw, the, the, the pin and therefore he used it. But this is, this is what the Alter Rebbe is saying. The misconception, the popular misconception is, and this was the general approach to Judaism before Hasidus. Before the Baal Shem Tov, before the Alter Rebbe, before the Maggid, you have to break. If you're serious about life, break yourself. Break your ego. Break your body. Break your animal. Discipline yourself. You know, break yourself. The Alter Rebbe says it's a popular misconception. It has nothing to do with tshuva. Judaism is not about breaking. Even tshuva is not about breaking. Nothing to do with breaking. It's about changing. It's about being inspired. Yes, of course you cry and you feel a stab of regret. But it's all, it's all coming from a loving place. It's coming from a good, kind, gentle, good place. Coming from a harsh, beat yourself into submission. Whip yourself into shape. That, that, that doesn't work. Breaking doesn't work. Not on others and not on yourself. It's elevating, <clears throat> inspiring, Mo- being moved, being moved to your core. That's different than breaking. Being moved to your core has nothing to do with, nothing to do with fasting. What does to do with fasting? What does have to do with torture? What does have to do with pain, inflicting pain on yourself? Torturing yourself. Hashem, if Hashem sees that you're sincere, and let's say you did a terrible sin, when a Jew sins, you create, you bring a terrible energy into this world, negative energy. You created the scar in all the worlds. So you need a cleansing. So Hashem, out of His love, personally cleanses and removes the scar. So He has to scrub you clean. That's painful. That's the pain. Hashem brings the pain. And that's also the ultimate loving act. Hashem is doing it out of His love for you because He cares about you. And out of His love for you because He cleanses you. And then it's like, it's like you're unclogged. Your heart is unclogged. Your ego is humbled and your heart is unclogged. And then you feel human again and you feel real again, genuine again. You know? It's like a tra- transplant. Hashem is doing a head, tra- a head transplant. Mm-hmm. When you do a sin where the Torah says your life gets cut off, you've severed your head. They haven't figured that one out yet. They can do a heart transplant, they can resaw your arm if they, if they do it quick enough. But once you sever the head, it's all over. <laughs> Here, the Torah says, Karis, and this is the miracle of Teshuvah, that you can, you can reconnect. So when Hashem sees that you're sincere, Hashem reconnects it. But the, ultimate, the way to achieve an ultimate reconnection, 
you have to go through the process of tshuva, Yom Kippur, and then ultimately pain and suffering. But that's what Hashem does. That's Hashem's doing, not your doing. And that's why he says, on top of page 1013, it is for this reason. It is for this reason that the Rambam and Sefer Mitzvah Gadol <coughs> whatever of fasting is related to the mitzvah of repentance, even in the case of sins punishable by excision or capital sins. Fasting is not required even with regard to those sins whose atonement is completed through suffering. They cite only confessing verbally and requesting forgiveness as the Torah prescribes. They shall confess their sins. Even though the essence of Teshuvah is going forward, resolving to change. But nevertheless, an essential part of tshuva is also a key part of tshuva, and this is one of the details of tshuva is that you have to make amends, you have to fix your past. That's why the Alter Rebbe starts out the chapter, the whole letter of tshuva, he starts out with a Talmud that says different levels, three different levels of atonement. Because atonement is key. It's not enough just to go forward. You also have to fix the past. So the Rambam does bring the other details. You have to confess. You have to regret. You have to, you have to ask forgiveness. But he doesn't mention once. Tainus doesn't mention fasting. Fasting is not even a component. It's not even a detail. It's, not, it's nothing. It has no connection to truth. Truth is not about beating up on yourself. That's a popular misconception. Not about being harsh and beating up on yourself and torturing yourself. And, but the confession and asking forgiveness, that is a part of it. And the Torah says you have to confess. Why does the Torah say you have to confess? If the essential mitzvah of teshuvah is to change, to resolve to change, to resolve to change is in your heart. Why do you have to verbalize it and you have to confess your sin? So the Tzemach Tzedek explains, Tzedek explains that there's, when there are two sins, there's two parts to the sin. There is the physical sin, and then there is the spiritual part of the sin, the pleasure that you had. It gave you a lot of pleasure, it was a lot of fun. When you make men's, so the scar that you created also, you created two parts to it. There's the part that corresponds to the physical sin. And then there's the spiritual energy. You create a negative angel. When you sin, you create a negative angel. It's this, the energy that you've brought, you've introduced negative energy into this world. And that's commensurate to the level of pleasure that you brought to the sin. Of course, when the Jew sins, the angels that we create are always a little crippled. They're never 100% robust. The Jew always feels guilty, no matter what. So no matter how, how so this, what? He, he, right, even before you did it, he already, so the, the angel is a little a cripple here, a little missing an eye there, a little, a little hinkadig here. Uh, <laughs> I never heard that before. <laughs> the hinkadig is Yiddish. The hinkadig for Yiddish is cripple. He can't, you know, he can't walk straight. <laughs> but nevertheless, it depends how much pleasure you have. It's more, it depends how sickly the angel is, you know, more sickly, less sickly. So when you undo, when you have to undo the damage, you have to destroy the body and the soul. So it's not enough just to feel regret in your heart. If you feel regret in your heart, 
he resolved to change, that will only affect the spiritual damage that you've done. But then there's the physical. You've done a physical act. So to erase the physical damage that you've created, for that you have to physically verbalize. You have to move your lips and verbalize and say that I sinned. So it's the verbalization that gets rid of the effect of the physical sin, and it's the inner the soul, the spirit, for the pleasure, for the level, the amount of pleasure that you had, now you, have, you feel a stab of regret and, and sorry, sorry, genuine sorry and regret what you've done. That uproots all the pleasure that you've had in the sin. You've uprooted it now. Because now, instead of feeling pleasure, you feel like a fool. As it says, it says in the Torah, God tells Moshe, no one could see my face. Because if you see my face, you will die. So it says, when does a person see God's face? The last moment of your life. That's when many times you see the person right before he passes away sits up or looks, eyes widen, and then they close their eyes forever. What happens is you see God. And when you see God, boy, do you regret. <laughs> is this, this is reality. And what did I, how did I, how did I wither my life away? For what? Money, power, fame, it means nothing. It amounts to nothing. The reality I have no time for. For God and His Torah and His mitzvah and coming to a minion and helping and being kind and good for tzedakah. That I had no time for. I had no energy for the only thing that mattered to me, the only thing that I defined myself by and that I had all my energy, poured all my energy in, was, it was a, a delusion. A complete illusion. Completely delusionary. Nothing. A passing, fading, vanishing, nothing. So when a person, and that's the reason why Hashem shows us, appears, because at that moment of truth, at least we have a little teshuva. We have a little regret. We're still alive, the last second. Hashem, is, out of His kindness, is giving us the ability at the last moment to do teshuva. Because that moment of regret. So for all the pleasure that you had, all the fun times, all the good times, at that moment of truth, you uproot all that pleasure. That's pleasure. That was silly, childish. I, I withered my life away for nothing. So that takes care of the energy, the negative energy that I brought into this world. And the physical confession, the moving your lips and confessing, that erases the, the impression of the actual sin. Why are confession and requesting forgiveness indeed part of repentance? Every sin consists of a body and a soul. The actual misdeed itself is the body of the sin. And the bodily pleasure and ensuing desire with which it was committed are its soul. Repentance involves eliminating both these elements. The soul of the sin is eradicated by the earnest <clears throat> regret of the individual who is mortified and pained by his past. Inasmuch as pain is the opposite of pleasure, it negates the pleasure which had earlier aroused his desire to sin and thereby obliterates the soul of the sin. But the body of the sin also needs to be nullified. Simply refraining from further transgression lacks the action that would negate the sinful act itself, its body. This is accomplished through verbal confession, 
for verbalization is also considered to be an action. At any rate, verbal confession is thus a component of repentance, while fasting is not. Okay, so that's clearly, that's established. Halakhically, fasting has nothing to do with repentance, despite the popular misconception. Why do we fast on Yom Kippur? And then also, why somebody said to me, if you go to the Ohel, you should fast before you go. Fasting on Yom Kippur is different than all the other fasts because fasting on Yom Kippur is actually a pleasure. You know, all the other fasts connote something negative, something self-deprivation. Fasting on Yom Kippur actually gives the Jew tremendous pleasure. You know, usually as you fast, you grow weaker and weaker. Here, at the end of Yom Kippur, you see as the Jew goes deeper and deeper to Yom Kippur, at the end of Yom Kippur, you have a renewed enthusiasm. You're tapping into some very deep place inside of you. So fasting on Yom Kippur is really a, it's a positive. It's a cleansing experience. It's a purely positive. It's like we fast the day we get married, we fast. Because the day we get married is like our personal Yom Kippur. It's the foundation, the cornerstone for the rest of our lives. And it's a raw moment. It's a very profound moment. And it's like, it's like when, when Moses is in heaven. When you're in heaven, you don't eat. It's not a time and not a place to eat. You're so uplifted. You're, so, you're living life on such a deep level. There's, there's, there's no room for eating. It's pure, pure energy. And... And uh, even your body, you, you derive pleasure from the fast. It gives you tremendous life and vitality and energy fasting. So that's, that's the idea of fasting in Yom Kippur, different than all the other fasts. All the other fasts that we fast throughout the rest of the year, it's to commemorate a tragedy. This tragedy, that tragedy. It's, it's a way, you know, we want to repent. We want to, as he's going to explain now, then what is the role of fasting? Because we do have fasting. We fast on the fast days. We fast in order to arouse us to repent. So there is a concept of self-deprivation, of, of, of fasting, <coughs> which can lead us to, 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 to teshuva. So that's what he's going to explain now. But Yom Kippur is a category for itself. Yom Kippur, even when Mashiach will come, we're going to fast on Yom Kippur. It's one of the 613 mitzvot. There won't be any other fasts. As a matter of fact, all the fast days will be transformed into holidays. Exception of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a fast day because Yom Kippur is not about mourning or tragedy or self-deprivation. It's about it's a different it's a different idea. Yom Kippur is it's a holy day. When you reach such a level of holiness, when Moses was in the mountain was was in heaven, there's no eating. You're fasting. It's it's you know. So that, that's a whole different a whole different idea, a whole different concept. So much so we actually get life and energy and pleasure from the fasting on Yom Kippur. That's the difference. It's not about self-deprivation. It's the contrary. We're living life in a different dimension. When you're living life in a different dimension, you're not eating. There's no eating. It's pure. 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 It's a holy day. It's a pure day, a pure holy day, right? We're living in a spiritual dimension. But even the physical, we get dressed in white. We're like angels. They don't eat and we don't eat. It's a spiritual preparation. Before you, you prepare for something holy, you fast. Like that's one of, one of the reasons why the 
bride and groom fast before the chuppah. One reason it was like Yom Kippur, another reason is because before you do a mitzvah, before you're doing something holy, you want to prepare yourself. You want to be in the right frame of mind. You don't want to get distracted by eating. So before you go to the oil, the holy experience, you don't want to, before you go to the Rebbe, you don't want to, you don't want to, it's a holy, holy moments. You want to prepare, you don't want to get distracted. You want to focus and concentrate in, on your spiritual preparation. So, you know, but that's all, that's a positive thing. It's not you're fasting to afflict yourself or, or um, it's not about a day of affliction. Yom Kippur is not about, yes, you have to fast. And the Torah says it's a day of inui, but it's not about affliction. You know, you're crying on Yom Kippur, but not because you're afflicting yourself, not because you're hungry. You're crying on Yom Kippur because... <laughs> Because the rabbi is speaking too long, or because you're hungry, there's no kiddush. You cry in your kippur because you're like when you're standing under the chuppah and everyone is crying. It's such a moving moment, such a raw moment, such a genuine moment. The cornerstone of the rest of your life. It's it's it's, it's you can't help but be stirred. Your soul is all stirred up. You you're moved to tears. That's what it's about. It's not about affliction. It's not about negativity, it's, it's a positive. And the same thing is not eating before you go to the OL. You're putting yourself in a frame of mind for a very holy, special moment, like before you go to see the Rebbe. Before you go to your chiddus, you know, you, 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 know, you don't want to be distracted by eating. So you, 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 you spend your time immersed, immersed in holiness. But that's all positive, it's not about negative. But the question remains, <coughs> We do find, we do find in the prophet, that the prophet exhorts the Jewish people, return to me with fasting and weeping. And we find all the fast days. The fast days are, the fast days are to commemorate tragedies and is to awaken us to do teshuva, awaken us to return, to do soul searching. So we see that fasting is mentioned, is associated with the tshuva. Here we just established that fasting has nothing to do with tshuva. Tshuva has nothing to do with, with um, pain and self-immolation and harshness. And yet here we find the prophet says, return to me through fasting. As to what we find in the book of Yoel, return to me with all your hearts and with fasting and weeping, which would seem to indicate that fasting is in fact part of return and repentance. This was to nullify a notice heard by the Rebbe Shlita as something which relates to the future, while repentance involves forsaking the past. The heavenly decree that had been issued to expunge the sin of, of the generation through the affliction of locusts, it was not part of the act of repentance. The idea of fasting here is to avert the decree. We don't just welcome pain and suffering and take it lying down. We're not allowed to welcome pain and suffering. Even though we believe that the pain and suffering is for our good. And it's a cleansing process. But the fact is on the human level it's painful. And therefore Hashem wants us to pray, to fast, to storm heaven and earth, do whatever it takes to avert the decree. Because what does God really want? 
God really wants everything should be good. Not only the end should be good. Even the means, how we get the world should be good. Should be good. Because God is good. If God is good, then it should be consistently good. Beginning, middle, and end. The whole process should be good. How are we going to achieve the end goal? How is it possible? How are we going to achieve the end goal? We, have, we need a cleansing. We're not going to have this decree. How are we going to achieve the end goal? We're asking for something that's impossible. Because the Torah itself says in order to achieve a cleansing you need, you need to go through this, this process. You need this cleansing. You need this decree. You need this pain and suffering. God is bringing it to you. It's His ultimate kindness. Out of His love for you. And yet a Jew has to fight after the fact. That's faith. We don't complain. We make a blessing. The tragedy strikes. We make a blessing. When there's a death, we get up there and make a blessing. At that moment of pain, the most painful moment in your life, you, make, you thank God. That's faith. But before the fact, before the pain happens, the Jew is not allowed to resign himself and say, whatever God does is good, it's wonderful. Mazel tov. Are the creeds about to happen? Mazel tov. No. Not only do you say mazel tov. The prophet says, fast, pray, do tshuva, tzedakah, storm heaven and earth, study Torah, do whatever it takes to avert the decree that the decree should not happen. What do you mean? The decree has to happen. We need a cleansing here. How is the cleansing going to happen if we don't have a decree? God forbid. God can do anything. So God can achieve whatever He wants to achieve in a different way. But that's the power of fasting and we're obligated to fast. We're turning to Hashem and we're saying it's a fast day. You pray and you fast and you say, Hashem, please, we want, please avert this decree. We don't want to suffer. We shouldn't want to suffer. It's not a Jewish ideal. We don't celebrate suffering. Hashem doesn't want us to, to accept suffering. He wants us to fight, storm heaven and earth, and avert the terrible decree. Look at it as terrible. Don't look at it as something positive. It's a terrible decree. Because what God really wants, God wants good. When He created the world, the world was good. When Mashiach will come, everything will be good. There won't be any suffering. There won't be any shadows. There won't be any misery. So the fact that there is so much misery, this is not what Hashem wants. Something is wrong with this picture. The picture is crooked. The picture is distorted, upside down. Don't celebrate it. Resign. Accept it. Fight it. How do you fight the heavenly decree? <laughs> you can't fight with bats. And... How are you going to fight a heavenly decree? Fasting. Self-deprivation, fasting, tshuva, tefillah, tzedakah, prayer, charity. We have a mitzvah in the Torah of prayer. We have a mitzvah to change the decree. We're not allowed to accept terrible decrees. It's like if someone tells you, I should pray for the coming of Mashiach. Who am I? Whenever God in His infinite wisdom will choose to take us out of exile, that's fine with me. God forbid that's not a Jewish concept that violates the principle of prayer. 
when you are when you are experiencing to avert a terrible decree that a Jew should stay in exile for another moment, and I mean Moses is in exile, and Jewish history is in exile, and forty million Jews are in exile, and Mashiach, and God Himself is in exile, and to say so called well, God knows what He's doing. When it comes to your health, you don't say that. I should pray for my health. Listen, God knows what He's doing. Chutzpah, I'm going to pray for my health. If, I, if I'm sick, God forbid, God knows what he's doing. He's cleansing me. It's wonderful. Mazel tov. Yes. No, you pray for your health. And you pray now. I need it immediately. And when you pray for Parnassa, you can't pay your bills. I need it yesterday. All of a sudden, when it comes to Mashiach, who am I to pray? It's not a, what do you mean, God? Whenever God is infinite will. That's not a Jewish way of thinking. Just like you pray for your health and you pray for your parnasa, that's why you have to pray for Mashiach, because it's a decree. Every moment that Mashiach doesn't come, it's an unbearable decree. Not only you, forget about yourself, get over yourself. Not only you're suffering, your neighbor is suffering, the whole world is suffering, Mashiach is suffering, Moses is stuck in the desert. How can you live with this terrible decree? Hashem doesn't want us to live with it. He doesn't want us to make peace with this terrible decree. He wants us to fight. He wants us to storm heaven and earth. That's why the rabbi is the great assembly. He instituted five blessings for the coming of Mashiach. One blessing for health, one blessing for Parnassus, five blessings. Because we have to storm heaven and earth. So one of the ways of storming heaven and earth is by fasting. It gets your attention, and it gets God's attention. When you're depriving yourself, yes, I'm not eating, I'm hungry, I'm not eating. This is serious stuff. I'll deprive myself. And Hashem, please, I'm serious, please, help us. Have Rachmanus. This gets your attention and gets God's attention. And this can help avert the terrible decree and substitute the terrible decree for, some, for something good instead of something terrible. From Tzara, the Baal says, Tzara, which is a Tzaris, Tzara, a, pain, a suffering tzara, you turn it into tzohar, into light. You transform the negative decree into a positive decree. That's the power of prayer. The power of prayer, we have the power not only to avert the decree, to nullify the decree, but even to change the decree from something <coughs> negative into something positive. So that's the idea of fasting. Nothing to do with tshuva. The idea of fasting is to avert the decree in the future. Teshuva is all about the, pa- the past. You want to fix the past, the mess that you made. In order to make amends, what does it have to do with fasting? What does fasting have to do with making amends? It's not about torturing yourself, beating up on yourself as the popular misconception, being harsh on yourself. It's nothing to do with teshuva. Teshuva is about change. Teshuva is about being inspired. Teshuva is about automatically feeling regret for the foolishness of your ways how you've acted in a way that's contrary to your core, your essence, all the goodness that's deep down inside of you, and you've squandered all that energy for fanatishkeit and for foolishness, so you feel a stab of regret, a genuine stab of regret. And you move, and you move to tears. But it's not, there's nothing harsh, and there's nothing negative. It's coming from a gentle, loving, beautiful, deep, profound place, a place where change comes from, deep down inside. Not from beating up on yourself, being harsh on yourself. So that has nothing to do with tshuva. But you're talking about going forward, that to avert a terrible decree that's in the future, that's, or that's imminent. There, the prophet tells the Jewish people, 
gather and fast. And that's what Jews have done. It's the mitzvah of the Torah. That's what Jews have done. Whenever there's a tzara, they gather, they blow, they, they blow the trumpets, and you fast, and you, you... That's what Jews do. There's a whole tractate. Tainus. Fasting. If there's, if, there's no, if, there's, if there's no rain, or if there's a tzara, the community is suffering a, a calamity to avert the continuation of the calamity, to avert the calamity going forward in the future, fasting is one of the ways where you can avert the decree and even substitute the decree and transform it into something positive. That's the role of fast. Nothing to do with truth. This is the rationale for all fasts and the stake undertaken for any trouble threatening the community, their purpose being to avert the impending harsh edict. As in the books of Esther, where we find that the queen asked that the fast be proclaimed in order to nullify a man's evil decree. And the same is with all the fast days. The 17th of Tammuz, when they breached the wall, during the second temple. Tishabav, when they destroyed both the first and the second temple. It all began the 10th of Teves, and they lay siege to Jerusalem in the first temple for three years. And then Tzom Gedalia, when the remnant, the last remnant was extinguished uh, on Rosh Hashanah, the day after Rosh Hashanah. Or he brings the fast of Esther. So all of these fasts were commemorating a tragedy that happened in the past, but it's not just the, uh, commemorating a tragedy that happened in the past. We're still suffering. We're still in exile. Mashiach will come. All these fast days will be transformed into holidays. We're fasting because we're still in exile. We're still suffering the results of those tragedies. We're living through those tragedies. So therefore we're fasting because we want to make an end to these tragedies going forward. We want to make an end to these tragedies. So by depriving yourself and from not eating and fasting, this can awaken you and arouse you to do soul searching, to turn to Hashem and avert the decree. What is the decree? The decree is that we're still in exile. It's to wake us up. We're still in exile. We're still suffering. As comfortable as we are, we have to remember that we're still suffering spiritually. Many are still suffering physically. So it's a wake-up call that we're still suffering and we have to change the direction, the whole projection, the whole projection going forward to continue. We can't continue just, you know, continue our existence in exile and everything is normal and we're comfortable and the status we're comfortable with the status quo. And thank God we can eat one night in a Chinese restaurant, the next night in a Japanese restaurant, and we have so much learning and so many yeshiva. And you forget how abnormal the status quo is. So these fast days are a reminder. The temple, not the temple was destroyed 2,000 years ago. We're still, the temple is destroyed today. We are suffering today because we are continuing the actions of our ancestors. Why was the temple destroyed then? Because of the sin of our ancestors. Well, you know what? Nothing changed. We're still here. So obviously we haven't changed our ways. So it's, 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 it's a wake-up call to change the, trade- the trajectory going forward. Instead of continuing this exile, we have to put an end to this exile. So let's wake up and let's realize it's up to us. You know, if we're going to continue the path of our ancestors, then we're going to have the same results. We want to change, we've got to change something. We have to act differently than our ancestors. So again, it's all about fasting, but it's all about going forward. 
how do we change going forward? It's to awaken us. And that's why Esther, Esther is a clear-cut example. Esther made a fast day over there. There was no tragedy. The, 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 the fast day was to avert the tragedy. Going forward, she asked all the Jews to fast. So fasting is a way to change the heavenly decree. How do you change heaven? How do you reach heaven? How do you change Hashem? The way to change Hashem is with something inner. It's not through politics, diplomacy. If you want to change something in this world, what we witness and experience in this world is just a symptom. If you want to change something, you have to get to the root cause. It comes from heaven. It's a heavenly decree. Everything that happens in this world comes from heaven. So if you're just going to work on the symptoms, you're not going to change anything. You have to go inside. You have to change within. So when you're fasting, and fasting is not a day of dieting. It's not just fasting. If you're just dieting, uh, that's, that's, that's not fasting. Fasting is a day of soul searching. It's a day when you concentrate on soul searching. You deprive yourself physically and you, 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 know, you remove all distractions and you, you, you do it's a time of soul searching. So you can concentrate and you can repent and you can focus and reflect on your spiritual health, what's going on inside, spiritually. And that's what touches heaven. It says Hashem doesn't see the fast. He sees the sincerity. It's behind the fast. He sees the soul searching. He sees the sincerity. He sees the, the awakening, the stirring, the, the movement. And it affects your body. Yes, you're depriving yourself. But that gets your attention. That hits home. That this is serious. You know, as long as nothing changes, you're just changing your soul, but your body continues. So it's not serious. You know, nothing changes. No one changes their plans. Everything is going normally. So, you know, abstractly you're changing. No, no. This has to hit home. Things cannot go on as normal. Things cannot go on as, as, as usual. The status quo is not acceptable. Something has to change. So when you fast, that hits home. Hey, I'm not eating. Breakfast, I'm not eating. Lunch, I'm not eating. Is there any time for supper? I'm still not eating. This is serious stuff. This gets your attention. Something is going on here. I better start paying attention. I better start. So that's what touches heaven. And that gets to the root cause. If you want to change, you can only change by addressing the root cause. By touching yourself and touching your soul and being touched yourself and being moved and changed and doing soul searching, that can affect heaven, which will result in a physical change. The decree will be annulled. And it will change. The realities will change. This is the idea of fasting. Not with truva, nothing with truva. But fasting is a way to avert the decree. But truva per se, truva could be a joyful process. It's a gentle process. It's a very deep and profound process. But it's, it has no association with harshness, no association with self deprivation. It's all about resolving to change and it's all about tapping into an inner place which real change comes from 
And that can be in a joyful way. But when you're facing a decree, a physical decree, when you're facing a physical decree, <coughs> here you got to get physical. You can't just deal in abstract, in pure spirit, pure meditation, energy, spiritual, spirituality. You're talking about a decree. Something physical is going to happen, negative. When something negative is going to happen physically, you need something physical. You have to fast. Fasting affects your body. It's physical. It has to hit home. Because the decree is going to hit home. The decree is not abstract. The decree is a pachampandram. It's a slap in the face. So when you're about to get a slap in the face, you need better slap yourself in the face and let Hashem slap you in the face. Because unfortunately, whatever Hashem does, He does 100%. When Hashem slaps in the face, oh, you did a slap. So better slap yourself in the face a little. Fast a little. Slap yourself in the face. Wake yourself up. Better to wake yourself up than to have Hashem wake us up out of our slumber. Oh, when Hashem, when the decree comes, boy, does it wake us up. You can be, you can be a fast sleeper. You can be a, uh, but unfortunately, Hashem knows how to wake us up. Better wake yourself up. That's a wise thing to do. It's a smart thing to do. The prophet says, wake yourself up. Don't wait for the decree to come. Wake yourself up, and then it won't be necessary. Then you won't need the decree. So here you, here you, gotta get, you have to get physical. You have to fast. Not because of truva, but to avert the terrible decree. Okay, now he's going to discuss in the classical Musa works, particularly the Rokea. Rokea was a Rishon, one of the medieval rabbis. And everything he wrote was by divine inspiration. And he discusses how a person could mend, how a person could make up for different sins. Certain sins, you have to fast so many and so many times. For certain sins, you have to fast these amount of times. Or losing your temper, you have to fast these amount of times. All different sins, in great detail. You know, according to his book, we will be fasting <laughs> all life. Um, so he's going to explain that this whole idea has nothing to do with the shuv. You can do shuva without ever fasting. And your truva is 100% complete. Halakhically, it's 100% complete, 100% acceptable. As a matter of fact, the Hasidic approach of Hashem to discourage fasting. That's not our approach. It's not about harshness and beating yourself into submission. That's not, that's not the whole approach of life, the whole approach of Torah, the whole approach of Yiddishkeit. Even when you're doing truva, even when you're fixing your past and you're dealing with messes that you made and the scars that you've created and the negative energy that you've brought into this world the way you clean up your mess is not through harshness not through fasting that's not the approach so you can do 100% shuva without fasting one day in your life but nevertheless he discusses for this sin you have to fast so much so many times this sin you have to fast so many so much times so what is that all about that's the question he's going to pose now the classic uh, Musa works particularly okay and Sefer Hasidim specify numerous fasts and mortifications 
for sins punishable by excision and execution. Till now, we're talking about fast. Now, in addition to fast, he also mentions mortification. People would uh, roll around naked in anthills so the ants would crawl over them and bite them. People would roll in the snow in the middle of the winter, you know, naked in the snow. People would uh, go through these, would torture themselves. Today? <laughs> I haven't seen it. I hope not. Um, but the, 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 it's mentioned, it's mentioned in these holy books that to mend certain sins, especially someone who sinned, a severe sin, a sin that's a capital crime, the Torah says his soul gets cut off, and especially a crime where the court would put you to death. So for these terrible sins, severe sins, they're fast that you have to do, there are different mortifications that you have to do. It reminds me of the story. There was this, these two Jews who sinned. They came to the rabbi. This is before Hasidism and said, um, how do I fix, how do we fix this terrible sin? The rabbi said, well, to fix your sin for a month, you have to walk around with beans in your shoes. Well, after one month, they both meet and says, come back to me. One month, one of them could hardly walk. <laughs> he's like, he's like, and the other one is walking fine, no problem. He says, how did you do it? The rabbi says, you should put beans in your shoes. You didn't listen? He says, yeah, of course I listened. How did you do it? He says, I cooked them first. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the idea of mortification, the idea of... of inflicting pain on yourself and mortifying yourself. And these are mentioned by holy rabbis. They're a keach, they're sefer chassidim, who was like a prophet. So, and then, likewise. Likewise, numerous fasts are prescribed for the graceful remission of semen, a sin punishable by death by divine agency, as the Torah recounts of Er and Onah and a sin whose retribution is identical in this respect to that of sins punishable by excision, and hence the numerous fasts prescribed. In our society, it's, this is high, highly encouraged, but uh, the Torah speaks of how this is the, almost the essential energy of the person, your soul. Your conscience. It's the difference if a person has a soul, a person has a conscience. If a person realizes that they're, they're not just an animal, a more highly evolved animal, a rational animal, but we're, we're a soul, we're a consciousness, we're an individual, we matter, our life matters, we're from the heavens, we, dan we dance with the angels. We're spiritual beings having human experiences. So to take that energy, to take the wasteful semen, to take that energy, that's your soul. And to treat it, that's your rocket fuel. That's what causes you to soar, that causes you to, to, to discover yourself and to discover the world and to discover truth and reality. That's the driving force. That's the end. It's like taking rocket fuel and reducing it to a cup of Coke a glass of water to nothing. I mean, what society does today and what pop psychology does to our youth 
It's criminal. It's criminal. They're not your friends. They appear to be your friends. Just have fun, enjoy life. Why not? They, they, because they're taking the most precious thing that we have and reducing it to nothing. Robbing us of the, robbing us of our imagination, robbing us of our individuality, dumbing us down, robbing us from soul, from consciousness, from reality, from depth. Turning your life instead of a life with, which is real, turning our life into a computer game, to a joke, to a cartoon. That's just a meaningless like a computer game. In the computer game, you can crash, you can burn. Do whatever you want. Anything goes. No consequences. Nothing matters. As long as you don't hurt anyone. Of course, with this philosophy, everyone gets hurt in the process. But reducing your life to absolute nihilism, absolute meaninglessness. Turning you really into the equivalent of an amoeba, of a bacteria, of a meaningless, absolute nothingness. Listen. You want to live your life that way? That's fine. But we don't choose to live our lives that way. Our li- we have souls. We come from the Garden of Eden. Our lives are real. And this is all expressed in sexuality, which is the deepest part within us, the holiest part within us, the most precious, the most special. Something that's precious, rocket fuel, you, you preserve, you, you use very wisely and judiciously. You don't just squander it or waste it. This is what fuels our imagination. This is what fuels our education. This is what causes us to rise and to, to, you know, and to discover breathtaking discoveries and to elevate our lives into meaning, something meaningful and real. And when you live a meaningful life, everything has consequences. Yes, every action of ours, every thought, every speech, everything that we do, every moment of the day, 24-7, there's reality to it. And to rob our youth of this truth it's criminal. You know, any person visiting from, from the past would visit us today, they would be astounded, shocked at how cavalierly we treat the most precious thing that we have. So when the Torah says a person who wastes, wasteful of mission, it's the equivalent of cutting off your soul because you're touching at the very core and essence of who we are and what we are. The deepest, the most profound. So they describe how do you mend, how do you fix it. So there's different fasts and different mortifications because you are mortified when you realize what you've done. You're mortified. You know, obviously, I didn't realize what I was doing. I was a child. I was immature. I, it, was, it was a crime of passion. But now that you realize what you've done, you're mortified. Like you had a treasure and you squandered it. You burned it. Imagine you had a million dollars and you went ahead and made a bonfire. You had fun. Ha, ha, ha. And you had fun. No, you had fun for the moment. It was a nice fire. It lasted for a half hour. But you burned a million dollars. Gone. The drain. I mean, once you realize what you've done, you're mortified. 
So you make up for it by the different fasts and different mortifications. And, and they give a whole list of how many fasts you have to fast for the, for the sin, for each sin, and, and even for, for, for negative attitudes. So the question is, what is the point of these fasts? All this might lead us to assume that the purpose of fast is suffering. This being the manner through which atonement is brought to completion by those who are guilty of sins punishable by excision. But it has been previously stated that the suffering which completes atonement is specifically that which comes from above, and not man-made suffering incurred through fasting and the like. The altar Rebbe answers this seeming contradiction by stating This suffering, this fasting and this mortification that you afflict on yourself, this is not part of the atonement process. The atonement process comes from Hashem. When Hashem sees that we're sincere, Hashem will bring upon us, will cleanse us, will bring upon us whatever cleansing we need. But it's not the human self-mortification that does not achieve atonement. That does not wipe away the sin that doesn't cleanse us. We cannot accomplish it. So what, then what is the purpose of the fasting? So he's going to give three reasons, three things, why, why the Rokeach and the Sefer Hasidim, why the rabbis, based on divine inspiration, even though it's not mentioned anywhere in the Talmud, not mentioned anywhere in the Maimonides, in the Allahic authorities, but why they bring this a concept that a person has to fast and self-mortification, What's the point? If it doesn't achieve atonement, if it's not part of the tshuva process, and it doesn't achieve atonement, because we can't achieve atonement by self, self-infliction, that's not the point. Shem doesn't want us to. That's not what it's about. So what is the point? What's the point of all this fasting, self-mortification? These above-described fasts and mortifications are intended to avert the punishment of suffering at the hand of heaven, God forbid. This means that if, God forbid, the punishment of suffering had been decreed upon an individual, he is able to exempt himself from it through these self-imposed fasts. So he's saying that this is to act as a substitute for the pain and suffering that's yet to come. So when a person inflicts pain and suffering on himself, we can avert the decree. We can avert the pain and suffering that Hashem will bring in us. So it's not to achieve the atonement. The atonement comes from Hashem. But when Hashem sees that we're fasting and we're mortifying ourselves, so Hashem will not impose upon us any pain and suffering. See, tshuva is something that you do. Yom Kippur also, you're fasting. Pain and suffering comes from Hashem. The key ingredient is Hashem. You have to trigger a response from Hashem. To achieve such an atonement for such a sin, a severe sin, it's a capital crime, anything that you do is not enough. You can do tshuva and you can fast, Yom Kippur. It's not enough. You have to trigger a powerful response from above, from heaven. 
from Hashem. What's that powerful response? Hashem will bring pain and suffering and He'll cleanse you, personally cleanse you. That's the powerful response. Out of His love for you, when Hashem sees you, you're sincere. You did the shuvah and you fasted on Yom Kippur. Hashem will say, okay, now I'm going to clean you personally. So that's personal. Pain and suffering is personal. Pain and suffering is, as we studied in the Tanya, in chapter 26. You can go to LessonsInTanya.com, part 1, chapter... It's very intimate. It's an intimate moment between Hashem and you. Hashem is personally cleansing you. It's very powerful. And it is very cleansing. So to achieve an atonement, to clean the mess, such a huge mess, such a negative energy, where you've cut off your soul completely, entirely, and you've chopped off your head, spiritually speaking, and you've disconnected yourself, such a terrible sin, such a scar, such a, you've, you've created such a negative energy in the whole universe, and affects Hashem Himself, for that, you have to trigger a powerful response from Hashem Himself. Only Hashem could achieve that atonement. Your tshuva doesn't help, your Yom Kippur doesn't help, and surely your fasting doesn't help. That's the point He's making. Only Hashem. But what fasting does do is, as the Prophet says, to avert the decree that's coming, Hashem is about to cleanse you, Hashem is about to bring pain and suffering on you, for your own sake, out of His love for you. To cleanse you and to clean you. You've triggered a powerful response, a very personal, intimate response from Hashem, a direct response. But when you jump ahead and you do the self-mortification and you do the fasting, the self-deprivation, the fasting, then Hashem says, you don't need the suffering. So you, would, you do trigger a response from Hashem. But the response from Hashem is, I'm not going to bring pain and suffering to you. I'll achieve atonement without pain and suffering. But it's an atonement that comes from Hashem. You can do something to trigger a response from Hashem. But you have to trigger a powerful response from Hashem. And that powerful response could be one or two things. Either Hashem brings pain and suffering to you, or by fasting and self-mortification, Hashem won't bring pain and suffering. And he'll, and he'll atone your sin. So the atonement is achieved by Hashem. And the pain and suffering is to avert the decree. That's not what achieves the atonement. Atonement comes from Hashem. You don't achieve atonement by beating up on yourself and being harsh on yourself. That's not what it's about. But what is pain and suffering? What is the idea of fasting? Because a Jew has an obligation to avert decrees. We don't welcome pain and suffering. Going forward, in the future, we have to avert it. If it happened in the past, we make a blessing and we thank Hashem and we, that's faith. And we feel Hashem's intimacy and we receive it with joy. But in the, going forward, we have to storm heaven and earth to avert the decree. So the prophet says, fast. Go ahead and fast. And the same thing is with the Sefer Rekeach and the Sefer Hasidim. The reason why you have to fast for all these sins is to avert the pain and suffering that's coming in the future. You don't welcome it. You don't seek it. You try to avoid it. That's the Jewish way. Avoid pain and suffering. So the whole point of the fast, again, is not about being harsh. The whole point of the fast is we don't want the harshness. We want to avoid harshness. The whole idea of fasting is to avoid harshness. The popular misconception is that fasting is all about harshness. To be a good Jew, you have to be grim. You have to be fire and brimstone. You have to beat up on yourself and beat up everyone around you and harsh and unforgivable and, you know, 
Nothing could be further than the truth. This is a complete misconception. The whole point of Judaism, the whole point of truth is the exact opposite of harshness. As a matter of fact, the whole point of the fast is to avoid the harshness that's coming from Hashem. Hashem doesn't want us to want harshness, to welcome harshness. He wants us to want sweetness, to avoid the harshness, to bring sweetness into our life. That's why we're fasting. So again, it's not about bitterness and harshness and, you know, it's the contrary. Hashem wants us to want sweetness and not bitterness. So therefore we act aggressively. The decree is about to come, and the decree is going to be physical, the pain is going to be physical. We also have to get physical. We have to fast, deprive ourselves physically. And self, self-mortification. That's one explanation. Another explanation, 10-15. The reason for these fasts is to urge on expedite the conclusion of his soul's atonement. Reason number two. The atonement is achieved by Hashem. We have to trigger a response from Hashem. Truva is not enough. Fasting in Yom Kippur is not enough. We need to trigger a response from Hashem. A powerful response from Hashem. So in order... And then he said, like Hashem sees you're sincere. You did the Shuvah. And you went through Yom Kippur. And you're sincere. Hashem, out of His kindness, that's how you trigger a response from Hashem. So you want to hasten that response. You want to trigger a response. You want to get a response from Hashem. You want to achieve an atonement. That's part of the mitzvah of Shuvah. Part of the mitzvah of Shuvah is to achieve an atonement. So you want, to, you want to hasten things up. You want to facilitate, to fast forward. You want to trigger that response. So therefore, you fast in order to trigger that response. But again, shuvah is about atonement. Atonement is, once you trigger Hashem's response, that's what achieves the atonement. The fasting is only to facilitate, to fast forward, to hasten it. So it, it, but that's not part of the shuvah. The shuvah is the atonement. It's not the fasting that achieves the atonement. It's the triggered response, when Hashem responds. So you want to fast forward and hasten it. That's one, an, another reason. And the last reason... Also, perhaps he is not returning to Hashem with all his heart and soul out of love, but only out of fear. Such a penitent would not enjoy the divine reaction that comes as water reflects the countenance, and would not be granted the completion of the atonement through suffering. Accordingly, he might undertake these fasts in order to secure this alone. Essentially, however, the suffering that brings about complete atonement for those guilty of sins punishable by excision and death by divine agency it's not meant to be self-inflicted, but rather having to defend imposed from above. So another reason is because, it says, how do you trigger a response from Hashem? When Hashem sees how loving and how sincere you are, on the contrary, your truth is coming from a loving place. You've touched such a, your soul is stirred. You've touched such a deep place inside of yourself. And you're all stirred up. And you're crying, and you want to come to a place. It's coming from a very gentle, loving, profound, deep place within you. The place where change happens. So Hashem is, mur- is stirred up. Hashem is interactive. Hashem sees that you're all stirred up. Hashem stirs, and He responds lovingly. And what's Hashem's response? He personally cleanses you and washes you. And washes, you washes away your sin. And that's the most intimate response. Now, what if that only happens when a person does truth out of love? What if your truth doesn't come from a loving place? It's more than a fear. I don't want to get punished. I'm afraid to start up with Hashem. I'm a fool. I mean, God, I want to be successful in business. I, I want to be successful, and then I go ahead and sin. What, am I insane? I'm going to insult my employer who pays my bills. I'm not fool. I'm not foolish. I better do what's right. If I want what I want in life, I want health, I want success, I better do what Hashem wants. So this is a truth that comes out of fear. 
I don't want to start up with Hashem. He's, he's Hashem I'm, you know, it's not coming from a loving place. So even though, so, so it's possible, since it's not coming from a loving place, maybe you'll never reach, you'll never merit that cleansing. You'll never trigger that powerful response and atonement from Hashem that only Hashem could give you that atonement. Because it only comes when it's coming out of love. When it's coming out of a, love, a loving place. Here it's coming from more a place of fear. So it's not, it's not so personal. It's more, it's more like egotistical. You're looking out for yourself. You're afraid. You don't want to start up with Hashem. So you won't evoke that intimate, personal side of Hashem, the personal response of Hashem. So you'll never achieve an atonement. But maybe by fasting, even though you're lacking in love, but by throwing into the mix, in addition to doing teshuva, in addition to doing teshuva out of fear, you're also fasting. So maybe, that's why he says maybe. Because... Because how do I know in such a case, maybe this will, is enough to trigger that powerful response. Even though I haven't reached the level of love, truva out of love, but maybe it coupled together with my self-deprivation and my fasting and my self-mortification, maybe this will stir, Hashem will have Rachmanus. And Hashem, even though I'm not deserving, and I'm not, but Hashem will still give me that powerful response and cleanse me and, and achieve that atonement. But again, the mitzvah of tshuva is the atonement. The atonement is a triggered response from Hashem. Hashem gives that atonement, not you. And it only really comes when the tshuva comes out of love. And you're fasting because you want to avoid harshness. So it's not, it's not about harshness. It's not about, that's not what tshuva is about. This is the popular misconception he's trying to dispel outright, right at the beginning. Two popular misconceptions. Firstly, tshuva, the main essence of tshuva, and he makes truva so easy and accessible, is change. That's the essence of truva. Resolving to change. Not fixing your past. But there is a part of truva. You have to atone. You have to, you have to ask forgiveness. You have to cleanse. The, you have to clean the mess that you made. You have to return all that, all that negative energy. Okay. And, to, and the other popular uh, misconception is that it has to do with fasting. Truva is about being harsh on yourself, beating up on yourself, and being contrite, and nothing, nothing can be further than the truth. Truva comes from a loving place. Truva is, 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 is a beautiful, is a gentle, beautiful, profound thing. It's real. It's not by being harsh and beating up on yourself. That's not what Truva is about. Nothing to do with Truva. The fasting has, is, has nothing to do with the Truva itself, nothing to do with the atonement. On the contrary, the atonement is when Hashem loves you, and you trigger such a response from Hashem, Hashem responds to your love and to your inner heart and inner change and crying that comes from a very deep place. Crying is not only harshness and bitterness. Crying is when you're stirred so deeply, you cry. When you touch a place deep down inside of you that's so deep, you, you cry. You, you can't help it because you, you've touched a real place inside of yourself. So it's all about loving, kindness, goodness. It's not about the harshness. But the prophet does say, repent. Yes, that repentance is on the contrary, to avert harshness, to avert the terrible decree, to make sure Hashem wants us to want sweetness. And by fasting, substituting, jumping the gun, taking upon ourselves, this, the, depriving ourselves, instead of waiting for Hashem to, um, to inflict pain and suffering on us, that could be a substitute. Then Hashem will, we can trigger the response without the terrible decree. This is the first chapter, very powerful chapter, powerful opening one of the most powerful works on Shuvah ever written. To be continued. Yes. Why is the 
person has absolutely no problem fasting, what do they do? The Torah speaks to the majority of people. Oh. Most people, fasting weakens you. Especially today, our constitutions are very weak. And we're very fragile. It's just, for most people, that's just the way it is. So by fasting, you're actually, you won't have the energy that you need in order to do what you need. There are individuals that are different. There are some individuals that uh, the more that, you know, they fast and it just gives them tremendous energy. The Torah is speaking about the majority of people. And this is not an approach. It's not an approach for the majority of people. The well majority of people, the approach is not fasting. You have to be strong. You have to be vibrant. You have to be healthy. Change. Absolutely. Truth is about change. But change doesn't come about through being harsh on yourself and beating yourself into submission and you know, whipping yourself into shape. That's not, that, that's not where change comes from. Change comes from a very inner place, a very deep place, a very real place. And it's very gentle and it's beautiful. And it's very moving and very stirring. But it's not about harshness. not about beating up on yourself and, you know, being harsh on yourself. That's what he's trying to dispel. That popular misconception. That's what he's trying to dispel. And if you learn a lot of the Musa Svarim, especially the latter Musa Svarim, you can get that idea. Being Jewish, you have to be, it's a very dark, harsh, negative, you know, tense, unnatural place, you know, serious, no humor, no, no joyfulness, and no, you know, and that's, nothing could be further than the truth. That's what he's trying to dispel outright. It's a whole different understanding, profound understanding of where Trevor comes from, the source of change comes from. The Rebbe would always remind us that we are a unique generation. There's never been a generation like ours, and there never will be. We are the transitional generation, the last generation of Golos, of exile, and we will be the first generation of Geula, of redemption. What an awesome privilege we have, and what a sacred responsibility we carry on our shoulders. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to bring the curtain down on the Golas once and for all? Well, Mashiach himself gave the secret away in his famous encounter with the Baal Shem Tev. He tells the Baal Shem Tev that when your wellsprings and the teachings of Hasidus will spread to every corner of the world, then and only then will Mashiach come. And therefore the Alter Rebbe sacrificed his life to carry out this directive to the Baal Shem Tev by writing and publishing the Tanya. And all the Rebbe's sacrificed themselves to publicize and to expound on the teachings of the Tanya. And the Rebbe, the seventh, the Shabbos of all the Rebbe's, published over 6,000 Tanyas, literally in every city of the world. And now, for the first time in history, through LessonsInTanya.com, Tanya in depth is available and accessible. 24-6, to hundreds of thousands, Jews as well as non-Jews, in dozens of countries all around the world. Now that you've had the personal experience and the pleasure to study the Tanya, we ask you to please partner with us to make the entire Tanya available and easily accessible to each and every Jew and to the entire world. Please help turn 
the wish of Mashiach, the dream of the Alter Rebbe, and the vision of the Rebbe into a reality. On behalf of all of us here at LessonsInTanya.com, thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. And a special thank you for the good deed that you're about to do. In honor of your tzedakah, we will merit the coming of Mashiach now when we'll learn Tanya from the Alter Rebbe himself. Thank you.